Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardis, and I hope you all had a fantastic week one. It has come, it has gone, and as we do every Sunday night here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, I will now be breaking down each and every game that happened, mostly trying to touch on those beyond-the-box score type things. If you see my Twitter, I call them sheesh alerts, you know, overthrown uh, wide receiver downfield when he was wide open, a drop in the end zone that made a quarterback's box score not look that good, maybe a running back just found just short of the goal line, I'll talk about the main numbers and, you know, some other snaps and good fantasy football takeaways, but just know that is the main goal of this uh, podcast. I'm not trying to just read box scores for you guys one after another. I've tried to go again beyond that and just try to, you know, really create the best product possible. So in future weeks, we will be having Dwayne McFarlane also on this podcast. Unfortunately, he had a little bit of an issue tonight, but we will get Dwayne's top five, top 10, uh, you know, just great findings. You know, Dwayne's always got some cool shit to talk about. He has some stuff ready for the podcast we will record tomorrow, which will be out Tuesday, which will focus on more on waiver wire type stuff, but also some of Dwayne's great takeaways. So with that, people, we will get right into it. Starting things off, we had the Los Angeles Chargers defeat the Washington football team 20 to 16. LAC covered as two point underdogs, the under hit at 45 and a half. Justin Herbert, it wasn't easy for the man. He threw a pretty bad interception to William Jackson when they were driving down inside the 20 yard line. Still saw that arm. And I'll tell you what, when you can make every throw on the field like Justin Herbert, you know, it just, even his bad games, you can just kind of see the stress that he puts on a defense. You know, I kind of compared him to a younger career Josh Allen in the past not that they're the same players but with Herbert's athleticism with that arm strength he really does force defenses for mostly better and sometimes worse to cover every square inch of the field so you know a lot of talent this offense is going to make it easier Keenan Allen Mike Williams are there to throw the ball to Keenan you know I gave my helicopter a seal of approval approval didn't jinx him he got nine catches for 100 yards we won the two touchdowns we'll see what happens next week shout out Mike Williams with eight catches for 82 yards caught a short goal line fade where he just big body you know, whatever poor cornerback was lined up on him. And that really was where the targets were condensed. Austin Eckler, people, zero targets in this one, which really surprised me. He did play 59% of the snaps and he had 15 carries. Behind him was Larry Roundtree at 31%, eight carries. Uh, he'll get the targets. We saw this happen last year in week one where he only had one. After that, I think he had 55 receiving yards the next week. So I would say this offense is trending. And remember, whole new offensive system with Joe Lombardi now calling plays. I would say the offense is trending more towards funneling through Keenan Allen and Mike Williams as it should running back should be your third, fourth, you know, guy in the pecking order of the passing game and Eckler as great as he is as a receiver is probably better off for, you know, he's better off getting 15 targets a game because we want all the touches possible for running backs. This offense is probably better off with Eckler, you know, being more around that five to seven target mark. So no, we're not sounding alarms on, you know, Eckler not having any targets because Justin Jackson with one was the only Chargers running back that had the, that had a single target. So if it was, you know, Jackson and Roundtree and these other guys getting targets instead of Eckler, maybe that would be a concern. Wasn't the case. So all good things from the Chargers offense in a very tough match matchup for them to be playing this game basically at 10 a.m. their time against a very good Washington football defense certainly expecting you know bigger and better I guess cumulative uh, statistical performances from this group ahead with Washington unfortunately Ryan Fitzpatrick lasted all of six pass attempts he suffered a fairly it seems like a serious hip injury I'm pulling up the rap sheet uh, tweet on it right now but he was out there and he is believed to have suffered a hip subluxation 
excuse me if I messed up that wording, and he'll have an MRI on Monday to determine if that's the case and how much damage it caused per rap sheet. The hope is nothing was broken, a serious injury, but they'll learn how serious tomorrow. So Taylor Haneke came in in relief. He had one really good drive. He threw a bomb to Terry McLaurin where Terry just made one hell of a catch and then was able to close things out with a touchdown to Logan Thomas. But in general, people, I mean, this Washington football team, they only threw the ball 21 times in this one. I'm not sure if it was just, you know, being spooked about Durham and Joey Bosa out there or whatever it was, but we just didn't see a receiver have more than five targets. Now, Antonio Gibson was the leading target getter in this offense, which is great to see. He actually ended up playing 67% of the offensive snaps. He had 20 carries and five targets. But minor problem though, people, is JD McKissick was still out there for 37% of the snaps, one carry, zero targets. So Garrett Patterson was actually the guy getting the carries, you know, with the Peyton Barber role, if you want to call it that, back in the day. They want to get Gibson involved. I mean, 25 freaking combined carries and targets. We'll live with that eight days of the week, though, regardless of if McKissick is really going out there for much. Still, Keep in mind that I think if we see games where the you know Washington football team is more willing to get in the comeback mode, because this one was just they were holding on to the lead, like the Chargers scored, uh, you know, fairly late in the fourth quarter, or just at least in the fourth quarter. And the Washington football team was up 16 to 13 before that. So this wasn't, you know, this comeback situation where McKissick was out there and like feasibly could be seeing a bunch of targets. It was more Gibson. So unfortunately, Gibson did lose a fumble near his goal line. Uh, you know, I believe it was in the second half. It might have even been the fourth quarter, wasn't it? He lost that. The, him and Damon Harris both had these late ones. Yeah, that's on Gibson. All right, I'm, I'm, you know, sorry, people, I've watched nine, 10 games. So they do blend together a little bit today. But with Gibson, he did fumble early in the fourth quarter, and that did allow the Chargers to only have to go three plays. And that's when Mike Williams got that three-yard fade touchdown. So Mike Williams, I mean, Austin Eckler, oh, my gosh, Antonio Gibson, wasn't the best game, didn't find the end zone, but the usage numbers were there, should have you know more RB1 weeks in the future. And the same should go for Terry McLaurin when the Washington football team has to pass the ball a little bit more. Um, for every single matchup, we're going to do like a PFF Lily stat. I'll explain this real quick. Lily is my wiener dog. She is fantastic. I love her very much. Uh, I did this last year and someone told me that they thought Lily was like some acronym for a fancy PFF stat. So that's the only reason why I wanted to make it clear. And it's just a cool name. So whatever. PFF Lily matchup stat is Keenan Allen's targets in 12 non-injury shortened games with Justin Herbert. Get ready, people. 19, 19, 13, 13, 12, 11, 11, 11, 11, 10, 10, and 7. The guy is almost guaranteed double-digit targets per game. He is going to be a weekly wide receiver. He already is a weekly wide receiver one moving forward. And hopefully Mike Williams can at least start joining that wide receiver two or upside wide receiver three conversation. 12 targets for him were the second most in his career. I love it when teams get their great receivers more and more involved. Next matchup, we had the Arizona Cardinals taking down the Tennessee Titans. Surprising one here, 38-13 in favor of the Cardinals. The Cardinals were two-and-a-half-point underdogs going to this one, and the under somehow hit at 54, even with the Cardinals scoring 38 points. Story of this one was really not an offense of uh, wasn't on offense. It was Mr. Chandler Jones with five sacks to his name. That Jones family just breeding one, you know, champion after another. Shout out to Chandler getting back on the field this year after, you know, missing a ton of time last year and absolutely dominating. He even got Taylor Luan to go on Twitter and basically just say like, I'm going to be better for this. Chandler, uh, you know, beat my ass and got called out and now I need to go fix things. So Shout out Chandler. He helped dominate this game. And other than him, man, it was Kyler Murray. Absolutely ridiculous plays out of him. Like when you talk about guys that, you know, really 
where box score like doesn't serve them justice in terms of how well they play the game. It is Kyler Murray. He had a touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins on the first drive after extending things. He had a sick best play of the game was to Rondale Moore, where he must have dodged four or five defenders before he got rid of the ball. It was truly ridiculous. And then he dropped a gorgeous touchdown to Christian Kirk of all people uh, from about 26 yards away where it just went, you know, perfectly. It was like a Russell Wilson moon ball type throw right over his shoulder. It reminded me of the very same touchdown Russ threw to Tyler Lockett uh, today as well. So exceptional game from Kyler. He also had five carries for 20 yards and a touchdown. Don't see those five carries and think that he wasn't running around as much. He actually had several uh, pretty good gains, I believe, get called back on holds and things of that nature. So he was still running around contrary to some of the things, you know, he said in the offseason, but hey, if he can throw the ball this well each and every week, I mean, maybe he should be running a little bit less than normal. So great game for Kyler. And this running back room, you know, kind of wondered going in, hey, what exactly are we going to see out of these guys? Is Chase Edmonds the feature back or is it going to be more of a two back committee? For now, it is leaning heavily in Edmonds' favor. Remember, people, 38-13 to 13 in this one. So James Conner was used as the grinder down the stretch. He had 16 carries to chase Edmonds' 12 on the game. But Edmonds had the superior 60% snap rate, James Conner 48%. I should note, these aren't adding up to 100% because Edmonds spends some time in the slot and not wide. And also, some of these numbers are unofficial. Got to love our PFF grinders, but some of these things are still uh, coming to fruition as I record this on Sunday night. So if you see different snaps throughout the week, that's why. Anyway, Edmonds, most importantly, got all five targets from his backfield. So he managed to catch four of them for 43 yards, looked explosive. He did have a 36-yard game before halftime. That was, I guess, a little bit iffy. But either way, he is the uh, back out of you know Arizona that we want to be catching the ball. And he is that guy. So Chase Edmonds, I think, you know, this doesn't really change too much for me. I think he's still a borderline RB2. This was a good spot for him. You know, it's going to be annoying with Connor and Kyler uh, potentially vulturing him near the goal line. But hey, if we can get four catches a game in this offense that should be scoring plenty of points, I think Edmonds should be just fine with that. DeAndre Hopkins looked like he was on his way to a monster game. He had two touchdowns in the first half. They just didn't really need to, you know, keep their foot on the gas. So he only ended up with eight targets. And yeah, you know, Kyler only threw the ball 32 times in this one. So while Christian Kirk, you know, was the guy really stepping up and he had the two touchdowns himself, Rondale Moore still looked pretty damn good, guys. Four catches, 68 yards on five targets. We saw him, you know, just take a screen a bunch of the way. He almost actually had a touchdown down the seam. I swear if Rondale was like four inches taller, he could have come down with this. Also seemed like the defender got a nice little tug on his jersey. So good things from Rondale, even if he didn't quite meet expectations. Um, AJ Green looked as dusty as ever. It was bad. Like he even caught one on the sideline where his foot was just already straight up out of bounds. Looks like a shell of the you know player that he once was. I almost said future Hall of Famer. Maybe he is. I mean, a spectacular career, uh, you know, back in the day with the Bengals, unfortunately not resembling that same player as of late with the Titans. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill, I mean, six sacks. It was clear the Cardinals were really in his face and forcing him off his rhythm. Tannehill is super, and this is one of the stats I'm going to look up this uh, week when we have things more finalized, but Tannehill gives me some Kirk Cousins vibes sometimes. He's way more athletic than Cousins. We see him pick up the rushing yards more often. He had a rushing touchdown today, uh, in fact. But when defense can just knock him off his spot a little bit, knock him off that rhythm, 
things seemed to go south in a hurry. So it was like midway through the second quarter, and A.J. Brown and Julio Jones still had zero targets in this one. Full passing and just couldn't find a way to connect. Ultimately, A.J.B. did find the end zone. It's always A.J.B. wide receiver one season, as we know. 49 yards and a tutty on eight targets. Julio just 29 yards on six targets. Let's relax. Derrick Henry, 58 yards, you know, on 17 carries. He had a 63% snap rate. Let's relax. Let's not throw out an entire offseason's worth of stuff because the Titans had an admittingly pitiful game. We should see better weeks when hopefully this offensive line isn't getting absolutely thrashed at the line of scrimmage. So I'm, for the moment, not going to put a big grain of salt in this one. And uh, yeah, we can get moving on. Would note in the other category, Jeff Swain did drop an easy touchdown down the middle. Tannehill hit him in the chest. Makes you wonder if they maybe used, uh, uh, I don't know, ASAP Ferk. Ferk daddy, Anthony Ferkser, like the receiving uh, talented tight end he is, but they will continue to rotate. And again, hats off to Chandler Jones with those five fucking sacks. So PFF Lily staff for this matchup, just five QBs in NFL history, excuse me, six QBs in NFL history have averaged at least 20 fantasy points per game. Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, and Josh Allen. If we added, you know, Lamar Jackson in there, only because when he was splitting time with Joe Flacco, those original games count towards his total, he would be number seven. So that's why, you know, when we talk about Kyler and um, even Devontae Smith and can these types of players that haven't held up over the past 20 years, past 30, 40, 50 years in the NFL, uh, you know, when we hear size being used as like a problem with whether or not a player can be great for a long time, I don't give it as much credence because it's a brand new football game. Like, the hit that Jameis took was one of the softest rough in the passer penalties ever, but it was another, you know, demonstrate another example that when guys get hit hard in today's NFL, even if it was a legal hit, the ref is just throwing the flag more times than not. So Kyler, even if he is a new breed of quarterback, Hey, it's a new breed of the NFL and he is absolutely thriving in it. Next matchup. We have the Colts losing to the Seahawks at home 28 to 16 Seattle covered as a three-point favorite the under hit at 48 and a half what a game from Russell Wilson and company there was some concern after that second half of last year would Russ get back to cooking would he look like the guy we saw in the first half he did here only 23 attempts but 254 yards and four touchdowns along the way two of them went to Tyler Lockett they were both absolutely beautiful one you know 69 yard bomb the other one though I mentioned like Kyler had the similar throw to Kirk incredible adjustment from Tyler Lockett down the field so he was someone we were higher on throughout the offseason just because he was getting penalized for just having too much production in small spurts I understand it wasn't the most ideal thing in 2020 but still just looking at this offense looking at the I believe 69 million dollar contract he got this offseason we all knew Lockett was still going to be the 1a or 1b in this offense and that again came to fruition today Great game from Tyler Lockett, 100 yards and two touchdowns. DK Metcalf was getting slow, get, uh, getting going. I was hearing some people say it was like the calf injury that popped up on the injury report. Whatever it was, ended up getting five second-half targets, caught four of them for 60 yards and a score. Still looked like the same usual boss that we know in Metcalf. And then Gerald Everett accounted for Russ's final score. The problem is that Will Disley actually saw more total pass game opportunities. I, you know, Credit to Everett. I think he'll be the more productive Seahawks tight end. It's just going to be tough for him to be anything resembling this consistent tight end one while Will, Will Disley is getting so involved. Perhaps the most interesting takeaway from the Seahawks offense was Chris Carson 
workhorse season, 77% snap rate, 16 carries and three targets for Shaw Penny, paled in comparison, just 13% snaps, two total touches on the afternoon. Guys, if Chris Carson is playing over 75% snaps and flirting with 20 total touches a game, he is going to be a weekly RB1. And I remember I got criticized a little bit in the offseason when I said he was an RB1, and I even backed off it. I ranked him as my RB15 going into things. But as we're seeing, like he is getting the touches, and that's what we need to follow in fantasy land. So excellent performance from this Seahawks offense. Not so much from the Colts. I mean, pressure, you could tell, was just a major problem for Carson Wentz all afternoon. Took three sacks. Wasn't terrible. I don't want to come off like Wentz didn't have his moments. He had two uh, crisp touchdowns to Zach Pascal. And, you know, great job by uh, great job by Pascal. Pascal, my bad. Either way, I was joking that, you know, this dude could literally probably have 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns in the next season. All the fantasy analysts like myself would just rank him as like the wide receiver 65. Again, all the hype for Michael Pittman, for Paris Campbell, and there is Zach just continuing to ball out. So he did that in only five targets. This continued to be a condensed passing game. The leaders, somewhat surprisingly, given that, you know, cap and check down, Philip Rivers is now coaching high school ball. Jonathan Taylor with seven targets and Naeem Hines with eight targets. So I would be surprised if we continue to see such a high percentage of Wentz's pass attempts go to these running backs. But hey, it worked out in this one. I mean, both guys caught six of their opportunities. Taylor had 60 yards receiving. Hines had 48. I guess the bigger issue, and I think Dwayne will have some awesome insight on this tomorrow, is the more specific Colts usage. I mean, Taylor played 54% of the snaps. 17 carries, seven targets. Hines played 46% of the snaps, nine carries, six targets. Our concern previously was Taylor being this 60% bell cow lead back, but losing a lot of other snaps to Hines and Marlon Mack. Now, Mack wasn't even an issue. He didn't get a touch. I believe he didn't, he didn't, yeah, he didn't get a snack, nor did uh, Jordan Wilkins. So that's great. However, Naeem Hines, who just got a nice little contract extension himself, was awfully involved. I mean, 15 combined targets and carries. That was high because the Colts were in comeback mode and Hines will be out there more times than not. But clearly, they don't mind giving Hines some carries. And it's almost like he is now, you know, if I was expecting before, like I was thinking Jonathan Taylor as the one and then Hines as the 2A, Mac as the 2B. Now it's almost looking like a 1A, 1B type situation. So it's good for Mac that this backfield is seemingly, excuse me, it's good for Taylor that this backfield is seemingly down to two guys. We need to keep an eye on Naeem Hines though. And especially for you, you know, like I'm, I'm thinking about this as a negative for Jonathan Taylor's fantasy value, but it's fine. He's still going to get his. And he actually had a touchdown nullified on a hold from the goal line. Yeah, maybe it did open up the uh, score uh, to happen to begin with. With that said, you know, he was very close to having a much bigger fantasy day. And Naeem Hines is someone particularly in full PPR format that we're going to have to start, you know, getting up into that upside RB3 range in a hurry. So yeah, Hines, very impressive. It's just funny how much, like how athletic he is. You see him with the ball uh, in space sometimes. And it's just like, damn, this dude is really freaking good. I know people were hesitant to give him, you know, the Austin Eckler comp, you know, with Frank Reich and Philip, no, not Frank Reich, but with Philip Rivers coming over, people want to just compare Hines to Eckler. And I don't think that's fair. Eckler is, you know, his own guy, but Hines in his own right is his own guy. And he has looked awfully good. So uh, PFF Lily stat for this matchup, Russell Wilson, since 2015 now has 16 games with at least three passing touchdowns when throwing the ball 30 or fewer times 
only Kirk Cousins and Ryan Tannehill, who have 11 apiece, are also in double digits. I mean, this efficiency that Rush just puts on again and again and again, it truly is unique to him and the Seattle Seahawks offense. And that's how Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf can still have such good games when they combine for just 10 targets. So that was tied for their lowest combined total targets of the past two seasons. Uh, ideally, we get some games in the future where someone, you know, other than Carson Wentz is able to put up a lot of points turns into a shootout we'll see russ's hand force and that's when we get the absolute explosions people so my qb superlative for russ this week was that he would take down um you know a big DraftKings tournament as a somewhat contrarian play four touchdowns 254 yards not exactly the massive blow up that i was hoping for was thinking this game uh might you know get a little higher scoring overall but i'm just happy the seahawks offense particularly the passing game does seem to be moving back in the right direction now just so you guys know, what I did last year for all these games was I would watch two or three at the same time live, and then around five, six o'clock, NFL Game Pass would release the games that had happened. I got to watch the condensed versions that are done in 40 minutes, and I would basically watch those alongside Sunday Night Football and some other games until I was done. So I watched every single game before I would record this podcast, usually around 1 a.m., Unfortunately, NFL Game Pass, in addition to removing their all 22 film, they are now dragging their feet on their condensed versions. So I don't think the condensed versions of the games are going to be up until Monday, hopefully, maybe Tuesday. Who the hell knows? I don't know what they're doing. But because of that, I didn't have a chance to go back and watch all the other games at this point. So just for a few of these, again, I will give um, you know that clear cut that I did not watch this. And I do watch every single game. It's my freaking job to be a football analyst. I don't know how people don't watch every game when it is considered our job. And I don't want to be that guy that says, Hey, this receiver didn't have a good game when in reality he did and one of his teammates screwed up. So just again, next few matchups may take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. Cause I did not get full eyes on this other than seeing uh, probably what most of you guys did that checked out red zone. So with that said, the Texans took down the Jaguars 37-21. You can see why I had to, you know, open up this crazy matchup of them all with that sort of explanation. Houston covered as a three and a half uh, point underdog. The over hit at 45.5. So Tyrod Taylor, I mean, good for him, man. Someone that's had just a rough few years. He goes to Cleveland and has to deal with Hugh Jackson and Baker Mayfield taking his job. Then the man gets his freaking lung punctured after, you know, winning or at least getting the Chargers starting quarterback job last season and then he has to come over to houston and deal with this whole situation with the sean watson being just a healthy scratch week in and week out and nobody knowing what's going on there tyrod 291 yards pair of touchdowns also managed to skirt for 40 rushing yards on his own people Good for Tyrod. He had this great play rolling out to his left where he hit Brandon Cooks for a nice 52-yard gain down the field. Hey, he was out there making plays. He was looking more like the guy we saw in Buffalo as, as compared to the guy we saw in Cleveland and in Los Angeles. So great job for Tyrod. You know, is he going to be a streamer moving forward? Probably not. I think the big lesson from this game is probably we got to play everyone that goes against Jacksonville. Not that we should get behind him uh, necessarily. They play the Browns next week, the Panthers after that, the Bills after that. You know, as I said with the Titans, I'm not necessarily thinking that, hey, you know, the Titans are going to be this bad offense moving forward. I'm thinking the Texans probably aren't going to be as good of an offense uh, moving forward on the other side of things. Uh, the running back room, just, you know, 
completely made me look like an idiot. I did not even write about this room in my committee breakdown because there's four members in the league's single worst offense, or so we thought. We're finding out things are different, but the split did come to fruition. Mark Ingram played 45% of the offensive snaps. David Johnson was at 28%. Philip Lindsay, 27%. Rex Burke had 13%. Mark Ingram had 26 freaking carries, people. David Johnson, three. Philip Lindsay, eight. And David Johnson led the way with four targets. So if you're going to start one of these guys, it's going to be Mark Ingram. I'm going to have to, you know, hey, I, I'm taking the L. Mark Ingram will be a slightly usable fantasy back, I guess, for a little bit, particularly in games where the Houston Texans can build an early double-digit touchdown lead for however many times that happens in the end. Either way, as you know, I do my little tongue-in-cheek uh, little st shtick here. Mark Ingram is the primary early down back, while David Johnson will be the primary pass down back. Will I rank either in my top 36 next week? No, but I will try doing a better job not laughing at people who give me start sick questions with these guys. Also, shout out Brandon Cook. Seven targets, five catches. 132 yards. This dude has now had 100-yard games from Drew Brees, Jared Goff, Tom Brady. Am I forgetting one? Deshaun Watson, there we go, and Tyrod Taylor. So Cooks, man, it would have made sense if he, you know, didn't have a great year. He's the undisputed number one offense, number option in an offense. That doesn't look like it's going to have a very good passing game. Credit to Cooks for starting off with a bang. Also had Farrell Brown, four catches, 67 yards. Danny Amendola scored a touchdown. Nico Collins almost had a sick catch uh, out the end zone. Unfortunately, couldn't come down with it. Unfortunately, my buddy Andrew Erickson's favorite late round tight end, Jordan Akins, did not have a catch. Sorry, Andrew. On the other side of the ball, Trevor Lawrence, 332 yards, three touchdowns, also three picks. I saw at least two of them. They were not pretty. Credit to Trevor for, you know, not quitting, continuing to throw the ball downfield and trying to get them back in it, but wasn't that great. DJ Chark, the dart touchdown to him for 41 yards down the sideline was a nice little throw. Marvin Jones had a couple of nice deep catches. We saw all the arm talent from Trevor Lawrence and we saw the it factor. I'm just more concerned about the Urban Meyer factor, which is why the Jaguars just lost by 16 to the freaking Houston Texans uh, in week one of the 2021 season. So for Lawrence, like, yeah, it backs up that he has the talent of a number one overall pick he looks like you know the prodigy it seemed like we saw at clemson but we also saw urban meyer doing things like under center with five wide receivers out there and not looking like anything close at least from the snaps i saw to this you know offense that's going to make life consistently easy for trevor lawrence you know 51 pass attempts in the guy's first game after meyer preached all training camp about wanting to have you know a top eight rushing offense seems a bit peculiar now, this part is not going to be fun, people. The running back split. On the one hand, James Robinson, 62% snaps. That's good. Carlos Hyde, 37% snaps. A little high, but not, not completely un intolerable, whatever the hell that word means. James Robinson, five carries, though, six targets. And Carlos Hyde, nine carries and one target. Guys, we cannot have this this close if this offense is not going to be good. I was thinking James Robinson would dominate pass down work, and he did. That's six targets to Hyde's, you know, only one is great to see. But if he is literally going to be working behind Hyde on early downs, that is a massive problem, everybody. Like, we're talking about splitting 
likely splitting goal line work in an offense that again doesn't seem to be moving uh you know upwards on the scoreboard all that quickly the reason why james robinson was so great last year was because only dalvin cook and derrick henry have more touches than him before he got injured that is clearly not going to be the case this year he's not going to be this bad every week i'm not telling you to go fire sale james robinson or anything like that with that said you know he is definitely going to be leaving my top 20 until we get some sort of confirmation that hide isn't going to be as involved as he sure has looked uh, not only this week, but also throughout the preseason. So yeah, a PFF Lily stat for this one. This is, this is what could be exciting, people. You know, this wide receiver room, we've all been kind of hoping it'd be LaVisca Chenault, then Marvin Jones was doing well, and they both had good games. LaVisca had seven catches for 50 yards. Marvin Jones, five catches, 77 yards, and a tutty. DJ Chark, though, on paper, wasn't that great. Only three catches, 86 yards, and a score. But air yards, and for those that don't know air yards, these are meant to show kind of a wide receiver's total opportunity. If Patrick Mahomes throws a 40-yard pass to Tyreek and he catches it, that's 40 receiving yards and that's 40 air yards, however many receiving yards he picks up after the catch as well. If he doesn't catch it, it's zero receiving yards and it's 40 air yards. So the air yards are basically showing, and it's a good way to show guys are getting really good, fancy-friendly downfield opportunities, maybe not cashing in on it. Now, we call them prayer yards sometimes because they're from a bad quarterback and we just know they're empty and they're probably not going to be a sign of positive regression. In Chark's case, I think we could see him and Lawrence get more on the same page. And with that said, people, the only only guy with more air yards than DJ Chark in week one, Mr. Tyreek Hill. So it's number one, Tyreek with 235 air yards. Number two, DJ Chark at 195. Number three, CD Lamb at 175. Number four, Amari Cooper at 149. So gotta love those Cowboys receivers. But if you got Chark late in a fantasy draft, I think he's going to be right up there inside upside wide receiver three territory in a hurry. Next one, we got the 49ers taking down the Lions. 41-33 in a freaking, you know, nail biter or maybe a kneecap biter, as Dan Campbell would say, that a lot of people didn't see coming. A lot of frustration here. This is another one that I unfortunately wasn't able to watch, didn't make PFFs. Octo screen, we had eight freaking games going at once. There's about six because some of the screens weren't exactly working perfect. But people, what a freaking range of emotions in this one. Like to see the Lions come back, outscore the uh, 49ers 23 to 10 in the second half. Credit to Golf and company for not quitting throughout because it looked like it was just going to be a romp early on with that 31-10 49ers halftime lead. So credit to them for not quitting. This game was, you know, the Debo Samuel show for the most part. Nine catches on 12 targets, 189 yards and a score. The 79-yard catch, like the cool stat I was throwing around all offseason was how Debo had more yards after the catch than receiving yards last year because he was used so strictly as this, you know, running, like he had almost like a running back route tree. And the thought was that he was going to more or less have that still. And Brandon Ayuk would be getting more of the downfield stuff. Wasn't the case. I mean, Debo won downfield and then he used that excellent yak ability to run away from the rest of the defense. So he had well over a hundred more yards. Uh, he had over a hundred yards of after, after uh, the catch still, but plenty of that was downfield as well. So credit to Debo. He fumbled late after getting the first down and gave the Lions a final chance. But again, this performance was, you know, all in all very good from Debo. It was great to see uh, Brandon Ayuk, man, this hurts people. And I'm not, I'm not one to victory lap big time because I'm going to be wrong a lot too. I did rank Debo ahead of Ayuk last week and this week and just throughout the offseason because, in my opinion, it wasn't because I thought Ayuk was going to get beat out by Trent Sherfield, which is what apparently happened. And also, to be fair, Ayuk was nursing the hamstring injury throughout training camp, but he was out there. He played 26 snaps 
in this game. Like Trent Sherfield just worked ahead of him. And that apparently is what we're going with. The beat writers are telling us it's nice that the beat writers now have a feel on this, you know, now, now they can tell us that Trent Sherfield was the lead guy. You know, they, they didn't have months of uh, evidence in front of their noses to maybe give us a clue beforehand. So no, like, I'm not going to like pat myself on the back for being right about this when it really wasn't for the reasons that I thought it was going to be. So in my mind, Debo just was the guy who would probably have the easier time transitioning from Jimmy G to Trey Lance. It's a lot easier to, you know, do that six inch pop pass than it is to throw the ball 40 yards downfield. So that was the thought process there. Now it's looking like Debo might just be the undisputed one in this offense. 12 targets, people. George Kittle had five. That was the next closest guy. Like if Debo Samuel is going to be getting his usual dose, and now the routes that we thought Ayuk was getting, we're looking at a top 24 at worst receiver in a hurry with plenty of room to grow. Like I might be, you know, calling it low with that top 24. If Debo can get double digit design touches, not design touches necessarily, but targets from Shanahan per week, guys, that is going to be very fancy friendly for all of us moving forward. Credit to Jimmy G. Got another win, 314 yards, one touchdown. Uh, again, didn't get to watch every second of this. I think a lot of it was thanks to Debo and Kittle. He had a pretty bad uh, fumble, and I'm talking about Jimmy G in there. But I guess Kittle and Debo also did have some fumbles. PFF Lily barking in the background to make sure I remember that. But uh, with uh, well, with this offense, it's just kind of, you know, what we what we thought. There's a lot of great guys on the field for, you know, Jimmy or Trey to get the ball to. Trey Lance did come in for a couple plays. He had three carries for two yards, and he threw a short touchdown to Trent Sherfield, one on a nice little pivot route on the outside. But as long as Jimmy G's under there, he's probably going to be, you know, good enough to beat some bad teams and even average teams. I'm, I'm, I don't want to take too much away from Jimmy. He'll be good enough to win more games than not. The question is, will he be good enough to elevate this offense the highest level it needs to be at to ultimately take down contenders. So uh, the backfield also horrific. One might say looked like it was setting up to be Raheem Mostert season. Unfortunately, my worst fears came true. And after playing just 7% of the offensive snaps, only two carries Raheem Mostert went down with the knee injury, not sure in the severity just yet. We'll see if Mostert's healthy next week. I think he'll go out there as a lead, you know, undisputed starting running back. If not, it's Elijah Mitchell season, I guess. Mitchell played 64% of the offensive snaps, 19 carries. Jermichael Hasty was a distant afterthought with just 29% of snaps, one carry and one target. So Trey Sermon was a healthy scratch because apparently he got beat out by Elijah Mitchell and Jermichael Hasty. Again, credit to the 49ers beat reporters for, you know, getting us this great information uh, by the time the game was over today versus, you know, any at any point over the past three months. So don't panic sell sermon just yet particularly if you're in a dynasty league where or even not especially dynasty but like a keeper redraft league where we can maybe get him next year because a lot i mean not elijah he's a rookie but hasty i believe hasty too moster jeff wilson like all these guys are out of the picture next year with that said, if Sermon can't beat out Elijah Mitchell i mean that dude's in his own freaking draft class leave it to a shanahan to make this uh you know competition as complicated as possible right now elijah mitchell's the man he should be one of the top waiver wire additions if we had to project this offense for next week i mean he would have to be the you know highest touch player from this backfield assuming most would be out again so yeah i would think that if you take most out of the picture because like i don't think shanahan didn't go into this game wanting to feature elijah mitchell with 19 carries that was supposed to be raheem mostert the question is was it going to be Raheem Mostert 
19 to two, like it was, or was it going to be more of a, you know, Raheem Moser 15 carries and Elijah Mitchell, like, Oh, wow. He actually got 10. So that would be, that would be my concern. We want Elijah Mitchell because he has the role that we thought Trey Sermon had, but like Trey Sermon this week, that doesn't make Elijah Mitchell like this top 12 guy immediately. If Raheem Mustard's out, it's going to be hard to keep Mitchell out of the top 24. For now, I would say treat Mitchell as more of an RB3, but that should be on more teams and not here moving forward, as opposed to someone that, again, we need to jam down every single lineup. Now on the Lions side of the ball, Jared Goff, you know, 57 pass attempts, found his way at 338 yards and three scores. Hawkinson had 10 targets, 97 yards in the score. Swift had 11 targets, uh, 65 yards in the score on those eight catches. And Jamal Williams, nine targets, um, eight catches, 56 yards. Like, I think some of us wondered if this would be what would happen in this offense with no good wide receivers. Would they just run it through the tight end, the two running backs? And so far, people, it's looking like, yes. I mean, DeAndre Swift played 68% of the snaps, 11 carries, 11 targets. Jamal Williams, 36% of the snaps, nine carries and nine targets. I mean, that is fantastic usage for Williams behind Swift. Swift, if he can get 11 targets a week, he will be a PPR RB1. It is just so valuable. Again, one target in full PPR scoring people historically is worth 2.7 carries. So Swift can get, you know, not even 10, just like seven or eight targets per week. It's going to be tough to keep him out of the, you know, top 12 conversation week in and week out. And Jamal Williams, and if we're talking about 15 to 20 combined carries and targets per week, we could be looking at this offense surprisingly being able to enable two consistent fantasy relevant backs. So Jamal Williams, he's always been one of those flex with benefits targets we've had throughout the summer. It's great to see him already give us a usable week. I'd anticipate him, you know, being up in that top 36 range again, maybe a little closer to 30 than he was last week. And DeAndre Swift, you know, again, it's going to be tough to keep him out of the top 12 as long as it looks like the Lions are going to be playing from behind, which I think despite this, you know, courageous performance by them, they should be doing. So Quintez Cephas also had a touchdown look good, but at the end of the day, none of these receivers had, you know, more than even six targets i just think it's a situation we should continue to stay away from pff lily stat for this one it's about brandon Ayuk. i mentioned this it wasn't like like if he was hurt if the hamstring was the major issue he shouldn't have been out there playing he played 26 snaps and he didn't go out there and have this reaggravation they didn't give him the ball they didn't design the ball to go his way why? Apparently, you know, Shanahan wants him to be more professional. That's what I'm reading from these beat writers. So it's all coming very quickly. Hopefully we'll actually get some good information about it throughout the week. Now that the whole public is making our, you know, thirst for this stuff known, but like last year, his previous low in snaps was 42. And now is in his second career game. I think first career game for him, actually, excuse me, it was week two last year, his first career game, he still played 16 more snaps. And that was coming off an injury as well. And that was 72% of the offensive snaps. Like we have no evidence of them ever putting Ayuk out there as anything more than a full-time starter until now. So I pray to God, this is not a Dante Pettis situation. You would really hope not considering Ayuk was a first round pick, but the more we see this, like, you know, Shanahan traded up to get Joe Williams. There's Trey Sermon, his guy, like, you know, whether it's August Kyle Shanahan, September Kyle Shanahan, just, you know, being these complete enemies of each other or what, as much and as much as we all love to, you know, jerk off this dude's offense and everything and the scheme and how great it is, some of this player personnel uh, decision, I'm not saying I disagree with it. The dude just put up 41 points and everything. Obviously, Kyle knows more about his players than I do. I just wish maybe we had some uh, local reporters that can give us more insight into what is going on in Kyle's head. Cause at the end of the day, that's all we're trying to do. So 
credit the 49ers for their win. We will have a better grip on this offense as the year goes on. For now, though, Debo, Kittle, and there he is, Elijah Mitchell, looking like the main producers. Next matchup, Bengals, Vikings. Bengals won this one 27 to 24. I did get eyes on it. Uh, Bengals cover, or I guess pushed at, I know they cover. Yeah, they were three point underdogs in this one, and the over hit at 47 and a half. So, Joe Burrow, I guess the interesting part with Burrow was he didn't really have the volume we were used to. By the time regulation ended, I mean, he was barely even pushing 20 pass attempts. They were happy to play with the lead and not put too much on his plate. Even in a full 70 minutes of football, Burrow only had 20. 27 pass attempts. Joe Mixon had 29 rush attempts in this one. So it's a little bit problematic. Maybe it was a game plan thing, just like how the Cowboys played the Buccaneers and Dak threw the ball freaking zillion times. Zeke's going to be more involved in future weeks. I think Burrow will be throwing the ball more in future weeks as well. He did take five sacks in this one. Maybe that was a concern and it will continue to be a concern. But that high-end volume was one of the reasons I was so high on Tyler Boyd because if you look at Burrow throwing the ball, 40, 50 times a week, potentially. That is when there's enough room for Chase Higgins and Boyd to ball out. Without that sort of total, though, it's going to be tough. And Boyd finished with four targets. Higgins had five. Chase had seven. It wasn't like he was completely shoved away as a distant number three. But it's going to be tough for Chase and Higgins to return value consistently as well with these sort of minuscule workloads. Credit to Jamar Chase for getting over his drop issues. He had a 50-yard touchdown over uh, Bashad Breland, where Breland just I don't know if he thought he had help or he just didn't think Burrow was going to throw down field, but didn't, you know, offer too much resistance. Higgins also found his way into the end zone from a shorter distance. So those guys are great and they'll continue to be efficient with their opportunities, but there's a lot of great receivers in the NFL, like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown. Those guys are going to have this problem as well, but those guys are in a much more pass happy offense. And, you know, Brady's obviously a better quarterback than Joe Burrow at this point and probably ever. So with all that in mind, people, it's good. We can get Chase back into the top 24, 25 of these receivers with him looking good and seemingly being the number one target. I would just say maybe in general, we were being a little too optimistic about this passing game, enabling three top 24 receivers. If they're going to be this run heavy, I mean, that's the only you know kind of takeaway we can have because Last year, when before Burrow got hurt, he was number one in dropbacks in the entire freaking league. So if that's not on the table, this offense enabling three top 24 fantasy wide receivers would also seemingly be off the table. So shout out T. Higgins for getting that first touchdown. If you guys listen to his interview here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, you would remember that he said that as much as he loves his fans and they like him wearing 85, his heart lies with number five. He was rocking that Clemson. So we made the deal that if T. Higgins scores 10 touchdowns this year, he will switch to number five moving forward. So you got one down, T. Go get those nine more and go get your swag back. Joe Mixon, I mentioned it, but 29 carries, 127 yards in the score. Did it in style. You know, a lot of people love to point out where Mixon's, you know, last year, oh, we just did it against the Jaguars and the rest of it was all, you know, volume-based. Week high, eight missed tackles forced on rush attempts. Nobody beat Mixon in that mark. So he was running hard, getting yak, getting hyped up about it. Uh, credit to Mixon for just playing hard the whole game. And he was out there pretty much the whole game. 79% snap rate, also had four targets. Samaje Piran, 21%, five carries, and one target. Samaje Piran spelling mix on early downs is absolutely fine. The one thing we couldn't have was Chris Evans coming in on pass downs. So Mixon this week was my overall RB6. He will continue to be that high as long as he touches continue to flow in that way. 
for the Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins, you know, his first step in our just please don't suck, man, while we try to get Justin Fields or Trey Lance out there. Journey comes through with flying colors, 351 yards through the air, two touchdowns. I'm pissed that Kirk didn't have three touchdowns because I still don't know how they didn't give Justin Jefferson his score. He caught a pass about 20 yards downfield, broke two or three tackles, and it looked like he rolled right into the end zone. And they ruled it a touchdown at first, I believe. Then they called it – maybe they challenged it. Maybe Maybe it wasn't a rule of touchdown first, but either way, they looked at it under replay and still tried to say it wasn't a score. So I'm not a professional official. Maybe it wasn't either way. Dalvin Cook came in and got the one yard plunge instead. So good stuff from Jefferson, nine targets, but his boy, Adam Thielen, nine catches, 92 yards and two touchdowns on 10 targets. People in Adam Thielen's last 16 games, he has, wait for it, 16 touchdowns. Dude's absolutely balling, and I might have just been one of many fantasy analysts to write him off a little bit too soon. You know, I just thought that Jefferson would be taking, you know, more of an alpha number one lead. Maybe it was the AC joint. Maybe it's just Thielen, you know, being better than I gave him credit for. So uh, also shout out KJ Osborne getting nine, nine targets, seven catches, 76 yards. Wouldn't necessarily anticipate that happening much more. Kirk Cousins usually isn't pushing for 50 pass attempts on a weekly basis, but good to see the Vikings try, trying to finally find some semblance of a number three, you know, receiver in this offense. Also had Dalvin Cook getting seven targets, cost six of them for 43 yards. So productive afternoon from the Vikings, you know, the skill position players we were starting. Uh, we didn't really see a tight end truly emerge. Tyler Conklin had four targets. He caught all four of them for 41 yards, but we also saw Herndon out there. And just with the way that they're more willing to use just funnel all their targets to Thielen and Jefferson. I'm not so sure we're going to get a usable tight end in this offense during Irv Smith's absence. Tyler Conklin is probably a DFS start, but I would really try to find a better option in redraft leagues. Anything else from this matchup? I mentioned the Cousins touchdown that should have counted. I think we're good. Oh, Higgins did have a cool shadow realm um, route that I put out there as well. For those that don't know a shadow realm, I've made this up and, uh, <laughs> Josh Ernsmeyer, who works for 538, saw this stat, and he told me that it reeks of me uh, not having a girlfriend and just grinding too much foam, which I kind of took as a compliment, so whatever. Anyway, a shadow realm is when they show the wide receiver cornerback ISO, ISO cam, and the wide receiver deeks the, you know, deeks or jukes or just messes up the cornerback so badly that by the time he catches the ball, the cornerback has literally gone off the screen into the shadows, uh, and yes, yeah, so there you have it. So T. Higgins had a dope one of those. Good job, T. PFF Lily stat for this one. Joe Mixon has now had seven games since the beginning of last year. Here are his combined carries and targets in those. 21, 20, 20, 31, 32, 21, most recently 33. We're just trying to follow the volume, people. Joe Mixon has all of it. That's why we've been touting this dude as a legit RB1 all offseason. Next matchup in the Darnold Bowl. Panthers took down the Jets 19 to 14. Carolina covered as four point favorites. The under 45 didn't hit. This was a game I did not get a chance to watch other than on red zone. With that said, Sam Darnold, man. So got, got some claps for me. He played very well in the first half in particular before pressure started to give him uh, some bigger problems. Beautiful 57-yard touchdown to Robbie Anderson. You know, it got a lot of, hey, Robbie and Sam doing their thing again. That was his only uh, catch on the afternoon, but whatever. Beggars can't be choosers. Uh, DJ Moore was actually the primary receiver with eight targets, caught six of them for 80 yards. He, even he was behind, though, the number one guy in Carolina, Christian McCaffrey, who basically had like a quiet 100 
88 yards, I think was his total in this one, 98 yards in the ground, 89 yards in the air. Didn't find the end zone. That's our floor with Christian McCaffrey is because he is the number one player in fantasy football. And I'll tell you what people, if he finds a way, and this is a lot of projecting, but if Christian McCaffrey does this for another like half decade or something, we're going to be putting him up there with the Ladanian Tomlinson's of the world in terms of just the best fancy football running backs that we have ever seen play the game. So great stuff from CMC. And it was good to see him have that real high target total in a Joe Brady offense after last year, it was moving around just a little bit. So he ended up playing 89% of the offensive snaps. Chuba came in for just 11%. You know, what did see two targets himself, more good news that they're not afraid to throw him the ball, but make no mistake about it. CMC still very much the one Oh one overall RB one. Also credit Sam Darnold for skirting into the end zone. On the ground, if you listen to our DFS podcast, that was a reason why I was on Darnold a little bit in cash games. I ended up getting more of a Jalen Hurts exposure. It just, you know, it was lineups were so soft this week in terms of pricing that you didn't have to go all the way down to Darnold, but he showed off that upside again by scooting into the end zone. So good job by Darnold. And he's going to continue to have more of these opportunities. And that's what's kind of enticing about not necessarily actively trying to, uh, you know, start Darnold, but his receivers, because next week we get, okay, the Saints, who did look a lot better on defense than I think anyone expected. But after that, we get the Texans, the Cowboys, the Eagles, and then the Vikings. So Eagles look pretty good too, but at least those Vikings, Cowboys, and uh, Texans games, we should be feeling pretty good about with DJ Moore, maybe Robbie, maybe Terrence Marshall. So Marshall did dud a little bit, three catches on 20 or three catches on six targets for 26 yards. It's going to be hard for Darnold to enable three high end fantasy relevant receivers as long as McCaffrey is soaking up so much target share himself. So if anything, I think this game shows us that DJ Moore is really the more undisputed guy in this offense, which he should be, but just wasn't always a given. Robbie was featured ahead of DJ Moore last season. That's not the case. We will adjust. I had DJ in my, you know, top 24 this week because the matchup was just so good. I think he will stay in there moving forward, even in worse matchups because he does seem to have a better grip on this offense's overall target share. Now for the Jets, Zach Wilson, up and down performance, took six sacks, you know, took him 37 attempts to get to 258 yards. Two tutties also had a, you know, I, I'm trying to remember the interception specifically. I feel like it was a little bit on him, but the one thing that sticks out with Zach Wilson, just how effortlessly he makes some of these throws. Uh, one of my favorite follows and just writers in general, um, Chris Brown, smart football uh, on Twitter, I believe he goes by. He wrote for Grantland back in the day. Anyway, he made a good point on Zach Wilson where it was just like, a preseason snap where he threw the out route and he was saying how like Wilson has the arm talent to just throw an out route without doing this big hitch in the back of his delivery. I, I am not a quarterback technique master or maestro or anything like that people. But when I do hear someone smart, that is, uh, you know, an expert on these types of things talking about it, it's good to pass along that wisdom. And I, we just saw some more of that from Wilson. Like this guy doesn't need to set his feet to have a perfect pocket to put ropes down the field. And we saw that again, Corey Davis, Five catches, 97 yards, two scores on seven targets. We saw some bombs downfield that didn't quite come to fruition, but at least, you know, again, showed off that big playability. Denzel Mims, of all people, had a 40-yard catch where it looked like he could have gone to the end zone if he kept running that way. I'm not sure why he seemingly just headed out of bounds when he had a couple steps. Unfortunately, Elijah Moore busted in a major way. One catch, negative three yards on four targets. Um, you know, hoping for bigger and better things from him. 
um, in the future. But yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, again, go back and watch this game uh, here on Monday or Tuesday and hopefully have a better feel for Elijah Moore moving forward. It's going to be problematic though, because clearly Corey Davis has the best report with Zach Wilson right now. We're fully expecting, you know, at some point, Jameson Crowder and Keelan Cole to get back in the picture. It might be tough, at least early in the season for Wilson to enable more than one high-end fantasy talent, as long as he is not exactly firing on all cylinders. So he was pressured a lot in this one. And in good news, the, uh, you know, Jets amazing uh, offensive lineman Beckley did not uh, suffer a bad knee injury like we thought. I believe it was just an MCL sprain. So good news there. Hopefully bigger and better days for Zach Wilson and company instead. I'm just happy that we got another young quarterback with absolutely bonkers arm talent out in there making Sundays more entertaining. And that brings us to our PFF Lily stat, the highest average target deaths in week one. Russell Wilson at 10.9 yards and number two, Zach Wilson at 10.5. So Wilson did this on 37 attempts compared to 23 for Russ. Guy wants to throw the ball downfield. I appreciate that. Should he maybe lean off that a little bit and be, you know, more one with the offense uh, than he was? Sure, but it's enjoyable. It's entertaining. That's what we're here for at the end of the day. Thanks to you, Zach Wilson. Before we move on real quick, I want to touch on these Jets running backs who I forgot to talk about. And Ty Johnson, apparently RB1 in a sense. Now, I got so many Ty Johnson start sick questions this morning. I didn't know why. I mocked it to an extent. And, okay, I'm a little bit wrong. 53% snaps. That beat Michael Carter, 27%. Tevin Coleman, 25%. With that said, Ty Johnson had four carries and three targets. Michael Carter, four carries and two targets. Tevin Coleman, nine carries. So I think the answer to these this backfield right now is a simple no. I don't think any of Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, or Michael Carter need to be held on rosters, particularly as you need to continue to go out there and try to get new guys as injuries will rise up around your roster and around the league in general. So over the course of the year, I'd still give a slight lean towards Michael Carter, but you know, even like Tevin Coleman, who I think a lot of people were thinking could be a short-term starter, it's just not enough upside in the three-back committee and offense that seems plenty fine letting Zach Wilson chuck the ball around so most likely answer to which uh, Jets RB you should have might just be no next game had the Steelers defeat the Bills 23 to 16 Pittsburgh covered as six and a half point underdogs the under hit at 48 this was a game I was not able to watch other than on red zone but hey people credit to the Steelers who you know my company PFF were pretty quick to write off this offseason they came in and gave Josh Allen all sorts of fits you know only able to throw for 270 yards on 51 pass attempts three sacks only have one lone touchdown to Gabriel Davis so Allen looked pretty erratic we just weren't seeing you know both the easy completions that I think he's used to and also some of those bigger extended plays so overall he was just one for eight on throws at least uh, 20 yards downfield so that was the problem like Stefan Diggs nine catches 69 yards on 14 targets Cole Beasley eight catches for 60 yards on 13 targets those are good numbers the target totals are great if we could have gone back you know Sunday morning and I told you guys hey Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley are, are going to combine for 27 targets. Allen's going to have 51 pass attempts. And he's also going to rush the ball nine times. I think we would all be building bill stacks, you know, until the lock came around. So with that said, the usage is there, but the matchup wasn't. I mean, Pittsburgh Steelers, credit to them. Looks like they're going to have, you know, another great defense for the, you know, 60th straight year or whatever it is at this point. Uh, you know, similar to Tennessee Titans, I'm not going to write off the Buffalo Bills offense after just one meh game. 
Also had Emmanuel Sanders not too far behind the group with eight targets, 52 yards. Just don't drink the Gabriel Davis Kool-Aid people. Very well might be the best number four receiver in the NFL. I would put Tim Patrick, maybe Auden Tate ahead of him. Either way, as much as this offense does uh, utilize four wide receiver sets, we're still seeing the targets concentrated with Diggs, Beasley, Sanders. And if anything, I think Sanders and Davis maybe swap as like boomer bust wide receiver four guys. It's just not consistent enough for us to really waste our time with either guy more weeks than not, at least in redraft formats. In the backfield, Devin Singletary dominated usage, 73% snap rate, 11 carries and four targets. Matt Breida, 13% snaps, four carries. Where was Zach Moss? He was a healthy scratch. So I came back a couple of weeks ago, you know, throughout the preseason, once we saw this was not going well and Zach Moss had the hamstring injury, we got off the train of Zach Moss being the primary late round, you know, RB to have. So thank God I did because, you know, that is a tough L to take then. It would have been even tougher if I tried to hold on to that throughout the uh, regular season. So credit to Singletary, 11 carries, 72 yards. Like he consistently pops on these graphics where you look at running backs forcing missed tackles. And I do put a lot of stock behind that because what other example do we have with running backs of them being in one-on-one situations? So Singletary will be the Bills back to own. If he can get 70, 80% snaps in this offense, he could feasibly supply borderline RB2 value and any other offense that probably be, you know, top 12 value, but because Josh is going to throw the ball to his heart's delight and continue to run the ball, despite being, you know, the $258 million man, it's just going to be tough for any running back to succeed. But Singletary, if he's going to dominate touches that much, should be able to start to flirt with borderline RB2 value. Go get him if he is still on your waiver wires and don't think twice about it. On the Steelers side of things, Najee Harris people, 100% snap rate. This is pretty much Zeke 2.0 here in terms of don't worry about the numbers. They weren't good, but they will get better because how could they not with this sort of usage? 16 carries also had three targets, you know, only totaled 49 scoreless yards with them. Wouldn't say, you know, from what I saw of him that it looked like he was just, you know, missing these massive holes and just not being able to do anything, but it's also hard to, you know, talk up anyone that just averaged 2.8 yards per carry. So, Not a good day from Najee, but he was the only running back out there, people. I don't see that changing in a major way anytime soon. Najee Harris will again be a top eight running back for me in fantasy land ahead of week two. As for Big Ben, didn't exactly, he got the win, but I don't think he gave, you know, his supporters a bunch of reason to feel good about that whole situation. Just 188 yards on 32 pass attempts. The touchdown went to Deontay Johnson. I don't know how he caught this thing. You know, drops don't matter as Jamar Chase and Deontay uh, proved again for us today. And Deontay was able to sky up above a defender and uh, catch a tip pass. Again, it was a great play. Chase Claypool, a bit behind Deontay, only had five targets, 45 yards. They were impressive, but unfortunately, Juju Smith-Schuster with eight targets still worked ahead of Claypool in terms of total targets. So throughout the offseason, I've had Deontay ranked well ahead of both these guys. I've given Claypool the lead over Juju. I am not changing down from either of those stances after this week two of action. Takes us to our PFF Lily matchup stat. Guys, Deontay Johnson targets in 13 games without an injury impacted, uh, without just being injury impacted and having Ben Roethlisberger under center. 10 targets, 13, 15, 10, 11. 16, 13, 12, 7, 13, 14, 16, and most recently 10. Kind of wild. I do this for Deontay, and I did it with Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen earlier, and they both have double digits in every single game except one, and even then they have seven, which we can live with. That's our floor. That's fine. Deontay Johnson continue to treat him as a top 20 receiver in fantasy football formats of all shapes and sizes. 
Next one, we got the Eagles defeating the Falcons 32 to six. Philly covered as three and a half underdogs and the under hit off 48 and a half. Wasn't able to get full eyes on this one. And, you know, I'm looking forward to it because sheesh people, Matt Ryan and company, I'm not sure how they looked this bad. Calvin Ridley, unfortunately breaking one of my favorite uh, bits of him just basically, you know, dominating week in and week out with at least eight targets. This was his worst game ever with at least eight targets, just five catches, 51 yards and no scores. I mean, that's still a pretty nice floor for no targets, but that is admittedly not a great game. So I know he let a bunch of people down as a top five projected receiver. Kyle Pitts also had eight targets, which was good to see, although he didn't do all that much with them either. Just four catches for 31 yards. Really need to examine that usage on the old film to make sure they're using him more like a wide receiver than tight end. Hey guys, you see who the RB1 was in terms of total rushing yards? That's right, my guy Cordero Patterson. He did work well behind Mike Davis, though, in a little thing called snaps and touches. Mike Davis, 75% snap rate, 15 carries, six targets. My guy CPAT, 33%, seven carries, and two targets. So credit to Patterson for making plays. Guess what? The best kick returner of all time is pretty good when you give him the ball as a rusher or receiver as well. I said kick returner. So chill out, Bears fans. I get it. Devin Hester, best punt returner ever. Look at the numbers, though. Cordero Patterson kicks, not kicks and punts, just kicks. Best kick returner ever. That's an Ian Harditz guarantee. But yeah, I mean, Mike Davis, that's fantastic usage. We just didn't really get the, uh, you know, scores out of it. But I would like to think the Falcons are going to score more than six points, you know, more weeks than not. And uh, we'll be going back to Mike as, you know, a low-end RB2 moving forward. It's just concerning with Matt Ryan. I mean, the reason why he was my single biggest fade of the offseason at the quarterback position was because of his just, again, dire performance without Julio Jones. In a 25-game sample over the years, I'm not talking Baker without OBJ or Mahomes without Ty. Tyreek Hill. When I did that study, the Matt Ryan without Julio thing was the one that stood out the most with an aging quarterback and an offense that doesn't exactly appear to be, you know, on its way up. I don't think Matt Ryan has earned, uh, you know, by any stretch uh, the benefit of the doubt here moving forward and streamer land. Over on the Eagles side of the ball, Jalen Hurts, great game, 264 yards, three touchdowns. He had a touchdown to, um, Oh, it was a Kenneth Gamewell. Kenneth Gamewell caught a touchdown. It got nullified because Lane Johnson went too far downfield. Didn't matter. Hurts a couple plays later threw a seed to Dallas Goddard for the score. Truly awesome throw. And I think even again, just a few parts of this game I did see, it was very encouraging for Hurts' progression as a passer. He also hit Rager for a 22-yard score. He got Devontae Smith on the first or second drive of the game down the sideline for a pretty, I believe, 19-yard score. We saw some great passes from Hurts. And the whole kind of reason behind making him our prime kind of late round quarterback to go to. And I mean, late round as in like, you know, ninth or 10th ranked guy. I know we had the cousins, Trey Lance field strategy, but hurts in terms of just like last guy you want to get before you're really going into uh, the deeper guys. Uh, he backed that up 62 rushing yards as well. And it's just what we continue to see from hurts when he is out there. He has been largely nothing other than a fantasy QB one. The question is, can this backfield, you know, continue to uh, su supplement a QB one with an RB one? Doesn't look bad. We had Miles Sanders play 66% of the offensive snaps, had 15 carries and four targets. Kenneth Gamow was at 36% of the snaps, nine carries and three targets. So this was a backfield that for a while we looked at and we just said, like, how many guys are even going to be here? But, hey, Boston Scott, zero week one opportunities and he didn't even play any snaps I believe like I'm looking up right now if uh, Boston Scott like was even 
out here and I don't think he was like he actually played pretty well in uh, the preseason games I know there's practices and stuff like that but the concern with this backfield was that Nick Sirianni was going to do what he did with the Colts utilize three or even four backs but if it's just two we can get back on the Miles Sanders train so it's annoying that Gamewell vultures touchdown and all that but hey for those of you that used a late round pick on Kenneth Gamewell and it looked pretty irresponsible uh, for at least a little bit certainly looking a lot better after week one so I'm still not completely convinced this Eagles offense is going to be hanging 30 plus on uh, guys on a weekly basis either way though Miles Sanders as the undisputed RB1 uh, he'll be someone that we're getting back into the top 20 I think think rather quickly other notes so yeah Devontae Smith again caught six of eight targets for 71 yards and a score Jalen Rager caught all six of his targets for 49 yards and a score and yeah nobody out targeted uh Devontae so he was the undisputed number one pass game option that we pegged him to be that's why he was one of my guys great player we did not see the size show up in this one Falcons secondary I know they're not the toughest test they literally allowed the most fantasy points per game to opposing wide receiver rooms last year Either way, you know, hey, even if it's a good matchup, we prefer our guys to do good rather than bad in those spots. Takes us to our PFF Lily stat. Back to the star of the show, Jalen Hurts. Guys, the passing yards was great and the three touchdowns. We knew last year he could do this, even if it wasn't in style. We had two 300-plus-yard passing games and only four starts, but it's the rush attempts that are going to make Jalen Hurts continue to be a borderline fantasy superstar. In five starts, he has had 18, 11, 9, 8, and 7 rush attempts. Those would add up to a 16-game pace of 169.6 rush attempts. Lamar Jackson's NFL record is 176. Now, Hurts, they, they have gone down. Like when I read those, those are not, you know, top to bottom order. It's literally his first start to his, uh, you know, week one start here in 2021 order. So maybe he is going to settle in as more of a seven, eight carry per game guy. That's the upside though. And even if he doesn't, you know, land up there with Lamar, even if he ends up, you know, 90% of Lamar, I still think that's going to yield a fantasy QB one when all things are said and done. Four more games here, everybody. I was happy enough and Pleased enough. What's the word I'm looking for? Lucky enough, because I love football. Lucky enough to watch all four of these games on PFS. Cool ass, you know, four screen TV brought to you by DirecTV. So next up, we had the Broncos take down the Giants 27 to 13. Denver covered as two and a half point favorites. The under hit at 45 and a half. Shout out to our guest, John Daigle, who put us all on that as his favorite bet earlier this week. Love you, John. Great job, man. You nailed it. And I stole that best bet on several shows shows I went on myself. I gave you credit. All right. Chill out. Just saying, being honest here. We're all being honest here. Teddy Bridgewater, I thought had an awesome game. Stat sheet, not ridiculous. 264 yards and two touchdowns. But again, this is a big example of like watching the game and some of the great takeaways you see because Teddy should have had a 50-yard score to KJ Hamler, hit this dude in the chest downfield open, and Hamler just let it bounce off his hand. So maybe he's still getting used to, you know, Teddy versus Drew uh, Locke and all that. Either way, it was a great ball from Teddy. But he still scored that drive. And on that drive, he had one. One extended play where he stiff armed like a defensive end to the ground and then found Hamler over the middle. And then later he scored. He threw the touchdown to um, Alberto. One, one of these days we'll figure out his last name. Where he stiff armed another guy and he got the ball off. So Teddy is someone that, you know, I think in his New Orleans Saints days, maybe because he just wasn't back to 100% following that uh, gruesome injury he had to go through. But he was always someone that we just didn't see put up any sort of a rushing floor. And in this one, we had the 19 rushing yards, but it was again, it was more what he did to get out of pressure and still make plays off script that really impressed me. So, you know, Teddy 
We saw some good things from him in Carolina last year as well, but a lot of the problems came down to, you know, them in the red zone. I mean, he talked about how in Carolina, they didn't even practice like two minute drill or red zone scoring. It was encouraging to see him hit both Albert O and, and Tim Patrick closer to the goal line in this one. Still wouldn't say Teddy's necessarily going to be, uh, you know, a reliable streamer, someone we should really be trying to hang our hat on. But hey, people, the job seems pretty secure with him. And we know he has, you know, a fair amount of weapons to get the ball to. He's got the Jets next week. And I would say he could be flirting with a top 20 quarterback placement uh, in that, you know, great potential blow up spot. Now I have to stop myself because I said, you know, Teddy, I want to say he had a ton of great options to throw to, but one of them got taken from us. Not as bad as we thought though. Jerry Judy suffered a high ankle sprain in this one. When it happened, I thought like it was a Dak type injury. I thought I saw his ankle go another way. It looked like when Connor McGregor freaking had that happen to him against Dustin Poirier. Apparently it's just, a, you know, quote unquote, just a high ankle sprain. It could sideline him for two months. I'm just happy Judy did not get taken for se- hopefully I'm knocking on wood the entire season in week one he had six catches 72 yards before that showing off some of that great route running ability and he really was working ahead of all these other guys save for Noah Fant so Judy hopefully you can get better man truly one of the more fun wide receivers that I've seen enter the league over the past few years those wide receiver cornerback iso cams are always just so much fun for uh Jerry please get healthy soon Behind Judy, it's going to be Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and um, KJ Hamler now in three wide receiver sets. Patrick got the touchdown today. Sutton was, I think, getting the worst of his matchup with James Bradbury more times than not. So I would expect Sutton to rise to the top of this. But with that said, you know, we'll see what happens. And KJ Hamler is someone that we continue to see fall out, whether it's, you know, in the preseason with Drew Locke or in this one, if he just could have freaking gotten his hands on that ball to hit him in the chest. But still, people, you know, while dropping a 50-yard touchdown isn't good, it's better than not being open to, you know, drop that 50-yard touchdown in the first place. I get that. Dropping more of those is going to lead to him getting thrown off the team. Just realize, like, don't bench Hamler. Don't consider rostering Hamler moving forward just because of one drop. I'm not even saying he needs to be this, you know, huge waiver wire ad this week. Uh, just pointing out that, hey, guys, it was one bad play. He's had more good plays than not here over the past month of action. In the backfield, we had a split committee, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, each exactly 50% of the snaps. Melvin had 101 yards on 11 carries and a score, compliments of a 70-yard rush where I'm not sure a single giant laid a finger on him the entire time. A little bit more rough sledding for Javante, 14 carries, 45 yards. Uh, neither guy was seeing too much work in the past game. Melvin Gordon did get three targets to his credit. Javante just one. So yeah, for now, it does seem like 1A, 1B with Melvin in the lead. At least there's not a third back. Continue to trust Javante to take this over sooner rather than later, and especially by 2022 when everyone should be loving him for Dynasty. I would say, you know, I've seen um, the folks over at Player Profiler who are very sharp uh, with their Dynasty um, format. You know, Javante, for a lot of people, is already a top 10 uh, Dynasty back just because of how young this guy is. I mean, he's still going to be a like, significantly amount younger than Najee Harris. I think by two years next year basically this dude is only 21 years old he turned 21 in april so credit to javante for even being good enough at this age to be out there i think a long and bright career is ahead of him even if he didn't have the most fantastic debut on the giant side of things daniel jones 
not great. He started off good, bombed and Darius Slayton down the sideline was a good one. We also had a nice little rapport growing with Sterling Shepard, who finished with seven catches, 113 yards and a score. Even had a couple, you know, great catches by Kenny Galladay. They're always contested because it's Kenny Galladay. But, you know, when Kenny can turn 50-50 balls into 90-10 propositions, uh, we can live with that. So I guess it was interesting to see this, these targets kind of so spread out. Shepard had nine, Slayton had seven, Galladay had six. I probably would have thought those would be reversed with a shepherd, you know, more in the middle, uh, if, if you had asked me before game time. So not saying that Slayton's ahead of Galladay. I wouldn't trust that moving forward. Still, Shepard and Galladay, I think those are two guys we're going to need to squeeze much closer in the ranks. And Shepard, you know, already paying off as someone whose target totals always seem much higher than where his ADP had him going. Unfortunately, people, the big L in this one, and I'll take some responsibility for it. It was Saquon Barkley. Played 47% of the offensive snaps, 10 carries, three targets. Devontae Booker played 39% snaps, four carries, one target. We all, and then, yeah, so this one, you know, Saquon by the fourth quarter, obviously they weren't going to keep him out there. So I do think he would have flirted with closer to 60% snaps and more of a normal game. But yeah, this, this was terrible. And we'll just go straight to the PFF Lily stat. Saquon had just 27 total yards on his 11 touches. His single lowest yardage total of his career, even last year when he got hurt originally, he had racked up 28 yards on the four touches. So I know the matchup was bad. And I know Rapsheet came out and said a limited role as possible. Rapsheet also said that Austin Eckler and um, who's the other one? Christian McCaffrey would be, you know, limited coming back. They proceeded to have 28 and 25 touches last year. Different injuries, which is fair. Hardly the first time we've heard about, you know, the Giants potentially sitting Saquon. I guess my thought process was like, why would you even make Saquon healthy if like, you didn't want him if like his health was the primary factor. Like why are the 11 touches he got better than like going in with 20, I guess I ramp them up. They have three games in 14 days. I guess it's a responsible thing, but it's just hard to really look at this organization and this offense and say that, you know, they're making the perfect moves with this. So Saquon Barkley best is yet to come. Please don't panic. So it's going to be Okay. Might not be as okay as we wanted it to be this early in the season. And, you know, hey, we'll put a little bit little, little bit more stock into what these guys are telling us. Because, again, I've tried to trust the doctors in this situation, not so much uh, what the reports have been indicating because I haven't gotten reports from people that I deem to be particularly on top of this stuff all the time. But, hey, they seemingly got this one more right. And uh, to that, my bad. And we will, you know, move forward with a little improved emphasis on that. And hopefully Saquon gets that three-down rollback uh, very soon. So I had him, I think, it's not like I said, play this guy's a top five running back. I ranked him RB16 this week. So I'm not saying I completely ignored all this. I expected they reduced workload to some extent it's still Saquon Barkley though guys and when you can get someone that good with you know 10 to 15 touches I know it's a bad offense and bad matchup it was a risk I was willing to take so moving forward with Saquon he's still going to be in the RB2 range but with a matchup you know on Thursday night against the Washington football team as that quick turnaround I think he's going to be far closer to 24 as opposed to this week when he was closer to 12 for me Three more matchups. We got the Packers getting demolished by the Saints, 38 to three. This was an interesting one. You know, Aaron Rodgers kind of looked like a guy that hadn't been focusing too much on football. And one thing that kind of stuck out to me in the offseason, I remember I was doing a piece 
at the end of uh, last year. And one of the things Rogers said in an interview was that he felt so good late in the season. He thought because he was squatting again, you know, in the weight room, and he thought that the added leg strength was helping him not tire out as the season went on and all that. Guys, I'm, I'm not sure Aaron Rodgers was doing a bunch of squatting uh, throughout this offseason. We don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was working out just fine as normal. But, hey, you know, when the reigning league MVP, who's looked invincible for the better part of the past, you know, 12 months, those for 133 yards and two picks against a secondary that other than Marshawn Lattimore doesn't have too much home to doesn't have too much to write home about. You know, these are types of questions you uh, find yourself asking. I'm, I'm questioning if Aaron Rodgers has been squatting enough uh, out of, you know, out of respect to what he was saying, the uh, improvement was for anyway. But regardless, terrible game for Rodgers and these uh, Green Bay Packers offense. Just 43 yards rushing. Aaron Jones, 5 for 9. A.J. Dillon, 4 for 19. Even Kylan Hill, 5 for 14. But note that Jordan Love was in the fourth quarter. That's why we're going to see horrific snap numbers from these running backs. Aaron Jones, 46% snaps. A.J. Dillon, 29% snaps. I mean, hey, people, Jones had two targets and so did Dylan. So from that standpoint, I'm not sure we're getting the, you know, Jones Kamara role that a lot of people that rank Jones in the top five were really hoping for. Still, though, I am going to lean a little more on the Titans uh, side of things. And who was the other squad we had that were expecting me better? The, uh, hmm. I'm going to lean a little more on the Titans side of things here and just hope that the Packers will figure it out a little bit more here moving forward. Again, awful performance. There's really nothing good to say. Devontae Adams, five catches for 56 yards on just seven targets. I mean, usually at least with him, we can get a big performance. Not even he could stand up for us. So when Devontae Adams has a bad day, I think you can just write that off to pretty much the whole offense not getting it right. So we'll stay tuned with it. We'll evaluate what's going on. Maybe this was just a wake-up call. All these guys needed. I mean, remember they had that, you know, shit the bed performance against the Buccaneers last year. Uh, didn't end up, you know, being this big tell all sign that things were about to go south. Don't panic trade anything. I would just say, you know, Devontae, Aaron Jones, and Aaron Rodgers, those are the guys we're trusting right now. We cannot get to AJ Doan as a flex yet. Marquez Valdez Scantling, team I eight targets. That's good. But until we see, you know, these targets turn to a little bit more, it's going to be tough to be too confident in it. He did have a bunch of air yards, though. So I would say, people, moving forward, if we want to try to get back onto, you know, when are the Packers going to ball out, which, hey, maybe on Monday night against the Detroit Lions, uh, I would say Marquez Valdez Scantling would be a nice blow up candidate there based on the old air yard by low scale. Now, on the other side of things, New Orleans Saints, first of all, Alvin Kamara, 82% snaps, 20 carries and four targets, actually scored on a little pop pass from Jameis Winston, where he took it into uh, the end zone from about three yards out, wasn't too hard, but kudos to him for getting there, and yeah, still the all-swag RB1, good game for Kamara, Tony Jones, 27% snaps, 11 carries and one target, pretty much in that, you know, Latavius Murray role, if not a little bit less, with Kamara getting this role, we need to see how the targets work out in the future. Jameis only threw the ball 21 times. I'd like to see what Kamara's targets look like if, you know, we see a 30, 35 pass attempt workload. But Kamara, he's certainly not leaving the top three, and he might just have something to say about to Dalvin Cook about getting that number two spot in full PPR formats. Uh, again, Jameis just didn't really throw the ball enough for anyone else to truly ball out. I'm sure Marquez Callaway burnt a lot of you, just one catch of 14 yards on two targets. But guys, only Deontay Harris, courtesy of a 55-yard bomb for a touchdown, had over 25 receiving yards in the Saints offense. And this takes us to our PFF Lily stat, because this is one of the weirdest passing performances ever, and it's so perfect that Jameis did it. Jameis Winston, 
was 14 of 20 for 148 yards and one, two, three, four, five touchdowns. There have been 210 instances in NFL history of a quarterback having five touchdowns. The previous record low for yardage was 158 yards by Eddie LeBaron back in 1962. And now it is number one, Jameis Winston. So I love that stat for Jameis. He now has the most, you know, ridiculous 30 interception season that we've basically seen in the modern NFL. And he also has the most efficient five touchdown or can we even call that efficient? Like the most low yardage, but still awesome passing game ever five touchdowns, two of them to Jawan Johnson. And I'll tell you what, the first one was fantastic. James put it only where he could get it. I mentioned the beautiful bomb to Deontay Harris also had a nice one to Chris Hogan. And he got the cheap uh, pop pass album Kamara, but whatever, that's what you get when you're playing under Sean Payton. So Jameis, great game. We got to see a little bit more. I don't think he's going to be throwing a touchdown, you know, every four attempts throughout the year. But, hey, you know, as someone that was really questioning before if the Saints offense could continue to be great, you know, all the guys, Marquez Colson, you know, Willie Sneed, um, just think about all these Saints receivers that come out of nowhere over the years. I was hesitant in assuming that Callaway, that Tony Jones, that Jawan Johnson could just effortlessly start being great as well without Drew Brees under center. It's a pretty good start. So Jameis and New Orleans Saints, I wouldn't say we're going to treat them as world beaters immediately. But with that said, it's a great game, people. And, you know, I'm going to give them a little bit more benefit of the doubt moving forward. I just wouldn't, you know, completely fade Callaway here. He still does look like the number one receiver. Uh, he tied for the position high in targets with two. Adam Troutman, surprisingly, had six targets. He could have maybe had a touchdown. He dropped a pretty easy one from about the seven-yard line. I'm not sure if he could have found his way into the end zone, but it was just a weird game. That, that's what it was. It was a weird game. So, if anything, buy a little bit low on Callaway and uh, you know move forward in this offense. Fully trusting Alvin Kamara. Know that Tony Jones is the backup running back to have. Jameis is presenting some nice streaming value. We only saw Taysom Hill come in for one or two snaps as a true quarterback in this one. And because of that, Jameis Winston, people, he's back starting quarterback. The game's more fun. I love it. Two more here. Dolphins beat the Patriots 17 to 16. Miami cashed as in as a 3.5 point favorite and the under hit at 43 and a half. So in this one, as I pull up my trusty stats. Yeah. So Tua. Good, not great. He had a horrific interception later in the game when he was getting hit and he just shouldn't have thrown the ball to begin with. But other than that, I thought he did some good things, particularly when he was getting the ball to Devontae Parker. So Devontae was, you know, can it's usually contested for him. He's not a guy getting a lot of separation. But to Devontae's credit, he was coming down with the passes, caught four of seven for 81 yards and, you know, doing his thing out there. And we also had a little bit of waddling going on. Six targets, four catches, 61 yards, and a short score for the number six overall pick. Very pleased with the, how that worked out. And yeah, even if Parker out-targeted Waddle in this one, the theory, the thesis always behind Waddle and Will Fuller, who's back next week, was always that, hey, this is their three wide receiver set. These are three wide receivers that were being priced as basically wide receiver fours in fantasy land. Worst case, you're drafting a guy that will probably be a wide receiver three or wide receiver four. Best case, like this week, we see Waddle and even to a lesser extent, Parker, flirt with that wide receiver two upside. So great stuff there. I'm not sure Tua in and of himself is going to be able to, you know, have this super prolific season, but I sure know getting Fuller back will 
will help and not facing the Patriots. So next week they got the Raiders. I already love the idea of stacking two over Fuller and Waddle and DFS. That could be, you know, a hell of a box score performance for this passing game. For now though, I'd say Waddle continue to treat him as the number one upside wide receiver three. Let's see how these targets look once Fuller's back in back in action, but looking very good. Um, only other thing I'd note in the passing game, Mike Desicki, just two targets, not catch any of them. We saw Durham Smythe still getting involved. All these running back targets too. Gaskin with five, Salvin Ahmed with three. So yeah, guys, and it's not anything against Mike Desicki. It's just the, the Dolphins, they have other receivers they're going to use. Their three wide receiver sets are Parker, Water, and Waddle, and Wilson for now. That was with Preston Williams out. Like, for Jasicki not to ball out in this game, when is he going to? Because when Fuller comes back, that's just going to hurt him even more. So Mike Jasicki, you know, it, it hurt me, and it was scary to rank him so much lower than a lot of people throughout the offseason. But again, it just comes down to volume, and right now certainly doesn't look like he'll be seeing it. With these running backs, Miles Gaskin, 54% snaps, Malcolm Brown, 29%, Salvin Ahmed, 19%, Gaskin, nine carries, five targets, Malcolm Brown, five carries, Salvin Ahmed, three and three. So Gaskin's the leader, but he's the leader of a three-back committee in an offense that at the moment doesn't exactly seem primed to be flirting with top 10 status anytime soon. So, hey, credit to Gaskin. He made the most out of his opportunities. He'll be, you know, a low-end RB3 moving forward. You can put him in your flex and feel okay about it, just not returning that you know, top 24 value that I think a lot of people drafted him for earlier in the offseason. Now, for the Patriots, great game from Mac Jones. Didn't get the win. Wasn't really his fault, though. I mean, Damon Harris was the one that actually lost a fumble down the way when it looked like they would have a chance to go ahead and, you know, take control of this game. We also saw Ramondre Stevenson lose a fumble early on and basically get benched afterwards. So for Mac Jones, I mean, he seemed a little erratic early. He was taking some uh, big hits. Uh, he had a fumble early on that, you know, I think they were just lucky to even uh, not lose control of um, the Patriots offense. I mean, so didn't look amazing in the first half. Prax was his first half of professional, you know, regular season football against a good defense. Came back in the second half and truly was making some nice throws. Nelson Aguilar had a nice seam, seam round and then a pretty easy touchdown. I thought Mac Jones' best throw of the day was on this wheel to James White, where you just saw some perfect touch on that. We also had Jacoby Myers catching six of 40, uh, six catches, 44 yards on a team high, nine targets. Johnny Smith had five targets. Hunter Henry had three. Aguilar had seven. Hey, people, Patriots are throwing the ball around. I mean, to see Mac Jones in his first game rack up 39 attempts, Patriots as a team did have 69 plays, so that could have had something to do with it, just a little more volume than we're used to seeing. But either way, James White, Aguilar, Jacoby, and even John U. Smith, these are guys we're going to be bumping up in the ranks more and more here moving forward. So great stuff from the Patriots offense. Damon Harris, even though he did have that fumble, was still the clear-cut bell cow. First carry of the game, he went 35 yards. Overall finish with 100 on 23 carries. And even chipped in two catches for 17 yards. So he did play 54% of the offensive snaps. James White, 37%. And again, Stevenson was pretty much out of the picture after that early carry. So no J.J. Taylor which was what we wanted to see. And yeah, if it's Harrison, James White, both of them can be relevant fantasy football, uh, not, not even relevant, highly relevant fantasy football assets. Same thing in Detroit, people. Like, even if these backs aren't necessarily like blowing you away or their offense isn't, I should say, like the, even if the offense isn't the most high scoring unit in the world, if we can just condense a lot of volume around two players, that's going to be good in fantasy football land. But takes us to our PFF Lily matchup stat. Mac Jones has now taken 99 dropbacks in the preseason and regular season. 
he has only one turnover worthy play so far. And that was his first drop back when he got sacked and fumbled it. Other than that, Mac Jones has not had an interception deemed, you know, his fault by any stretch or put the ball on the ground. So fantastic job by Mac Jones this whole time. Again, taking care of the football and making some great throws uh, along the way as well. Still not someone I think is going to be awfully fancy relevant. Just it's his back is against the wall as long as he's not going to be giving us any sort of a rushing floor, but for the Patriots in real life and also for all of his teammates in fantasy land certainly looking good last one up browns beat the chiefs 33 to 29 browns uh covered as plus i guess they pushed that plus four uh, that was up usually around six or seven though higher in the week but whatever over hit at 54 and a half baker mayfield man didn't get the win through an interception at the end that a lot of people will probably put uh, a lot of his blame on but with that said people i thought he played fantastic you know my dark horse kind of mvp pick for the year and i'm feeling good about it after a game some of the throws he put on tape man just fantastic so he did have the pick at the end it looked like he was trying to throw the ball away tony romo said baker was trying to throw the ball away i trust what romo thinks you know what a quarterback's thinking more so than myself he was just getting tackled from behind it looked like he didn't have the arm strength to get it there while that was all going on so you know good things happen for the defense when you hit the quarterback as they're throwing i tend to think that's all that was other than that though guys 321 yards and just 28 attempts again it was one great throw after another the first half in particular so he could have had an even bigger day. Anthony Schwartz, their kind of surprising third-round pick, was way more involved than I think anyone expected. He had a nice 44-yard catch. The problem was Baker hit him in stride. Schwartz bobbled it, had to go out of bounds. If he catches it and keeps running, I think he finishes that play in the end zone. Also had a great throw from Baker to Najoku. And it seemed like he was just more willing to test downfield, which made it so sad that Odo Beckham decided that he wasn't healthy enough to play in this one. Again, you know, I'll take my L with thinking OBJ was going to play, but it's not like I'm pulling this decision out of thin air and saying, oh, I believe in OBJ, he's going to play. It was based on all the reports and all the beat writer speculation, even what Stefanski was saying about it, where Stefanski, to his credit, said it was going to be a game time call, but he also said, you know, he was limited and we'll call it 90 minutes ahead of, ahead of kickoff like we do with everyone else. Seemed like coach speak ended up not being that way. So hopefully Beckham is out there sooner rather than later. I would say the good news is it seems like they're only letting him go out there when he is fully ready to go. So I don't think we're going to have a Saquon-esque situation where we have to worry about Beckham going out there and only seeing, you know, a handful of snaps. I think when he's ready to go, He'll be out there in his full-time role. So please stay put on Beckham. It's frustrating. I hear you, but good things should be ahead. And yeah, other than that, guys, it's still going to be tough to get behind anyone in this passing game. I know Donovan Peoples-Jones has been, you know, an upside guy to consider, but nobody in this passing game had more than five targets. It looked like Austin Hooper was going to take over early. I think he had three catches in the first drive alone, didn't catch any of the rest of the way. Njoku ended up leading the way with 76 receiving yards. Wouldn't count on that happening much more. Shout out Jarvis Landry for finding his way into the end zone on a goal line rush attempt. That was pretty cool. But again, it's just going to be tough to expect those sorts of things to happen we week in and week out. So I would say as long as Beckham is out, Landry can get more into that low end wide receiver three zone, but just expect a lot more goodness from these running backs. 
Nick Chubb, 53% snaps. Kareem Hunt, 47%. Chubb had 15 carries and two targets. Hunt had six and three. Hunt just continues to make the most of his uh, usage. You know, a lot of people were expecting him to regress to an extent just because of how often he was scoring. Well, he found his way into the end zone again, and he even got a two-point conversion for another couple. So he looked great out there. He had a sick hurdle as well. I mean, it's honestly an embarrassment of riches the Browns have in this backfield. Chubb did fumble once. He looked like a world beater the rest of the time. You know, continue to fire him up as a top 10 back on a weekly basis and hunt man it's not ideal he works behind chubb straight up but hey they find a way to get this guy 10 plus touches a game he's one of the best running backs in the league from a talent perspective and he's playing in one of the better offenses so kareem hunt you know even if it's gonna be tough to always squeeze him in that top 24 he's still someone you want in your roster and that you can start more weeks than not and god forbid something happens to chubb true league winning talent on the chief side of the ball Typical Mahomes game, which just means absolutely spectacular. 337 yards and three touchdowns. Tyreek Hill, 11 catches, 197 yards in the score. Right when it seemed like the Browns might be kind of, you know, taking over this one. First play of the drive, Mahomes just launches one as he's rolling out to his right. Hill stops, catches it, and just finds his way into the end zone. So it, it kind of reminded me when they did that to the Patriots in uh, twenty. 18 in that game in a uh, Foxborough when it was like the Patriots had just tied things. It was the crowd was getting loud and then just first play Mahomes bomb Hill touchdown. And then he got a bunch of beer thrown on him, but Tyree kill just even if Devonte Adams, I still think deserves the crown, the best wide receiver in the game. I don't think another wide receiver puts more stress on the defense for 60 minutes than Tyree kill uh, with Travis Kelsey only, you know, only seven targets. Oh, don't worry though. He made the most of them. Six catches, 76 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Just some confusing coverage from the Browns, but you know what? I'm not exactly sure how to guard Travis Kelsey either. Neither is the rest of the NFL. So don't want to be too hard on them. Nobody else had more than three targets. I don't think that Miko Hardman or Demarcus Robinson or Byron Pringle are necessarily going to happen. Patrick Mahomes is fine enough throwing to Hill and Kelsey to his heart's delight. And hey, if they're going to be open every damn play, I guess it's going to work out. Finally, with this backfield, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 74% snaps, 14 carries and three targets. Daryl Williams, 20% snaps, one carry. Jarek McKinnon, just 7% of the snaps and no touches in this one. So Clyde, that's great. I mean, 14 carries. Uh, he didn't make a ton out of everything. He finished with, let's see, 72 total yards, no scores. But this is fine, people. This should produce, at worst, the borderline RB1 that he was being drafted for, like, even if Clyde isn't going to get that Kareem Hunt, the Sean McCoy, the Jamal Charles Heights, you didn't draft him as that this year. Last year, sure, I understand why you'd be pissed off at that point. This year, that 75% usage is great to see and should lead, lead to bigger things moving forward. So Clyde Eberslayer continues to be an upside RB2 as the featured back in the league's single best offense. Uh, finally, uh, Jarvis Landry, he had the rushing touchdown. He also had a sick hurdle. Uh, shout out Sam McGuffey, who I think of every single time I see uh, someone have a cool hurdle. And I mentioned how Schwartz could have had a long score, but bobbled it. PFF Lily stat, it's about just Kelsey owning the Browns. In the last two matchups against the Browns, Patrick Mahomes has targeted, or I guess also Chad Henney. So Kelsey in his past two matchups against the Browns, 17 targets, 14 catches, 185 yards, and three touchdowns. Madness. Great job, Chiefs. Good win. Good job, Browns. Last two years, the Browns got blown the hell out by the Ravens and the Titans. At least this one was competitive against the defending AFC Conference champs. Wild stat I heard on the broadcast, though. The Browns haven't won a week one game since 2004. 
come on, schedule makers, get, get, get them a layup in 2022. Like we got to let the people of Cleveland get a win. That's been far too long. And this podcast has probably been far too long as well. I am out of breath, but we have gotten through all 13 games in this one. I hope you enjoyed the Sunday night matchup. And again, uh, Dwayne McFarland and myself, we'll be back here on Tuesday morning, ready to go over what happened then some extra couple of notes and the waiver wire stuff. So this will be our usual podcast, uh, scheduled throughout the year. Monday morning, you can expect a review of all the games. Tuesday will be a waiver wire focused episode. Wednesday will be a game by game breakdown looking ahead to next week. Thursday will be a special guest 10 questions. Friday DFS, Saturday uh, injury report and Sunday morning, we'll be back to answer your questions. So all day, every day, gotta love it. Fantasy football is in the air and we are on to week two. So thank you as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast and until next time, take care everybody. 